0: Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like The Full of Shift podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real-life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help you inspire and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. So hello, everyone. So today's topic really is one that is near and dear to my heart, as I myself personally do have polycystic ovarian syndrome, or what is more commonly known as PCOS. And it's not uncommon for people who have this to also have an eating disorder or to struggle with body image issues. Fortunately, over the years, so much more is known about PCOS, and there's a lot more information and awareness out there about it. And fortunately, there's also someone out there, like the amazing guest who is here with us today, who is an expert in PCOS and really helping people who have it. But for anyone out there who has it, I want to say something. I'm sure something you've been told or possibly even confused about. We're going to touch on it today and possibly clarify lots of things you're confused about in today's show. So, with that, let's get on with it already, shall we? And bring on our guest. After sobbing in her boss's office 15 years ago, Julie Duffy Dillon, who is a registered dietitian and PCOS expert, Taught her last diet. Once she saw the anti-fat bias, she couldn't unsee it. And now, Julie helps people with PCOS confidently tackle health concerns moving forward without shame and blame. She teaches them how to burn their PCOS diet books while bringing clarity into their relationships with food and body. Julie wants to empower people with PCOS to grab their crown because they are king and queen of their own castle. Well, Julie, welcome to the show. Hey Christina, so so grateful that you asked me to be on. So thanks. Well, I'm grateful to have you here because I know this is a topic that so many people have questions about and struggle with. And you know, as I was talking to you earlier um, before we hit record, you know, I I have PCOS, so for me, this is a topic that you know I wish somebody would have talked about when I was going through all of my struggles. Um, So so grateful to have you here, and you know, anyone listening who's who has PCOS. Uh, all ears open, right? <laughs> this is going to be yes. a great podcast for you. So, um, how did you get, you know, to working with people who have PCOS? Would you mind sharing a little bit about your history?
1: Mm, sure. Yeah. It, you know, it, it was not something that was intentional. Like many people who work in like eating disorder recovery, I wasn't really setting out to work in eating disorder recovery, but I found, um, myself really enjoying working with folks who were wanting to explore moving away from dieting. And um I was about three years in working with working as a dietitian when I really started to see how problematic dieting and the pursuit of weight loss was. Like I felt I was like talking to people about losing weight and then also helping people recover from their eating disorders and diet culture. And I'm like, how come I'm telling people two different things? Like this is a not not Makes sense. Like I can't hold both of them, and you know, over about a year or so, I had this like cognitive dissonance that was like exhausting. But I eventually decided I was like, oh, diets are harmful. Mm-hmm. This is this is really a big problem. And I say that about PCOS because um, as I was starting to um, work with more people with eating disorders, many people also had this diagnosis of PCOS, and I was like. Mm-hmm well, what is this diagnosis? And as I looked into how to help as a dietitian, I'm a registered dietitian. Um, I we All dietitians, in, when we were in training, we carry around this really big, thick nutrition book. It's called uh, The Krauss Book. That's just the author's last name. So everyone has The Krauss Book and we usually keep it and we lug it around for decades. But I remember opening up The Krauss Book at a PCOS and it was like, help people lose weight. And I'm like, I... I don't do that anymore. I, I, There's another way. There has to be another way. And so I just started to really search for other people who were looking into helping people with PCOS that were not also pursuing weight loss. Because I was like, obviously that doesn't work for the majority of people. And what are people supposed to do if they're eating disorder recovery? Like pursuing weight loss can be deadly. Mm-hmm. So there, we need to find another way. So I started to do that and I found some new ways and then you know how things work. People just start talking, and they're like, "I told my friend who has PCOS that they don't have to diet, and so they're going to schedule with you." And then their doctor found out, and so lo and behold, then most of my clients I was working with had PCOS. And at that point, I—I um, I think this was around, I don't know, seven eight years ago. I was mostly working with people with PCOS who are also trying to recover from an eating disorder. When I got a phone call that was really strange, um, it was from like a TV producer out of LA, which I live in North Carolina, you know, I don't get a lot of TV producers calling me. And they said that they are filming a reality show where I live and they needed someone who specialized in PCOS. Would I be willing to film? And I was like, I guess so. I think this may be the only chance as a 40 plus year old woman who has two kids. I'm not really the like reality show prime person. So this may be my one time to do this. So I did it and and I from there um, the show was my big fat fabulous life and Whitney Thor is someone who has PCOS and talks about even sort of recovery. So by doing that I really then allowed other people to connect with me outside of my little Southern town that I live in. And Mm -hmm. so I started to work with people all over the world who have PCOS too. And I love being able to share with people like you don't have to diet if you have PCOS, even if you are not trying to recover from an eating disorder. Like if you just have like tried every diet or you don't want to do that, like there are so many other things you can do to help manage symptoms that don't have to do with dieting or the scale and can actually feel better. So it's been a thrill. It's been amazing. And I feel really grateful and privileged to be able to do this type of work to bring people other options.
0: Well, that's so exciting. Uh, first of all, I found <laughs> to be on a reality show talking
1: about this. And I mean, yeah. that must have been quite a thrill. <laughs> yeah, it was bizarre, but you know, like you would too, you probably just would roll with it. And yeah, it was intense. <laughs> so but it was a fun time. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So you started working with so many other people, like you really expanded sounds like. So, um, so how many years have you been working now with people who have PCOS primarily?
1: Probably around 15 to 20, but I didn't really start specializing in PCOS until about 15 years ago. Yeah. Okay. So lots of experience. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm quite seasoned now. I feel like.
0: (laughs) And how refreshing, you know, to hear you don't have to diet if you have PCOS because I, mm-hmm. I, you know, as I was sharing, like I have it too. And like the whole message the whole time was you have to eat this certain way. There's a PCOS diet. There's this, there's all these guidelines. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sure people listening are going, wait, what do you mean? I don't have to die. <laughs> there's mm-hmm. not a certain way I have to eat. Um, mm-hmm. so what is, how do they not diet? How do they like get rid of that idea of there's this magical PCOS diet that they have to
1: find and follow and mm-hmm. all of that? Yeah, you know, I, I believe that most people when they're told they have PCOS, they're told so little. I don't know what you were told, Christina, but like so many people are told like, here's birth control, come back when you're trying to get pregnant mm-hmm. or nothing. You know? <laughs> and <laughs> basically they're told like, you have to live on these terms now. You just have to restrict. and um there's so little actual research on PCOS in general, and then even less on PCOS and nutrition that I don't think people really even think there's like another way. You know, I remember when I first started specializing in PCOS, I would talk to people who have it and they're like, that's funny. I would never even think there would be some, a dietitian specializing in this. And I was like, that's funny. I can't believe you don't think there'd be someone specializing this because PCOS has such a big part of like the, the topic of food is such a big part of it. And some of it, again, like we're saying, is super problematic, but um, I think the The way that PCOS care right now is framed is super neglectful because again, people aren't really taught how what it means. What does it actually mean to have PCOS? Mm -hmm. Most people leave with the diagnosis thinking they caused it, Mm -hmm. which is totally not true. That's like myth. The biggest myth out there because we know it's passed down through families. It's not something that a person caused by eating too much of something or weighing too much or anything like that. It's definitely inherited, Um, and. What we do know is that the push to diet may initially do something favorable, like lower insulin, improve cycles, but only for about two or three months. And then after that, it's it, long-term, when you look at long-term dieting research, because we don't have long-term PCOS research, um, but long-term dieting research shows that dieting um, or restricting or just not eating enough, for whatever reason, increases insulin and increases inflammation, increases blood sugar, blood uh, blood pressure, cholesterol, all those different things. And as anyone with PCOS knows, like those are the things that you basically are threatened that that's gonna be worse if you don't diet, but what if actually dieting makes it worse? And so I know you asked like, what can you do instead? Well, my number one recommendation always is, uh, are you eating enough? Like, are you actually Mm -hmm. eating enough food? Um, And I think for those of us who have socialized as women, we're taught we don't need to eat that much. Mm-hmm. you know and especially like for what's going on in the world right now we need to be awake <laughs> we need to be energized to make sure that the world is gets fixed and um eating enough is like one of the most important things you know making sure that you have um boundaries set up in your life basically where you can have time to eat and like feed yourself and eat something that actually is satisfying and i know that's not fancy that is so not sparkly. And I, you know, I know so much of research is like buzzwords and slick in the messaging, but nutrition science is just not that slick. It's all correlational research pretty much. And what it comes down to for so much of PCOS management and the symptoms is just making sure you're eating it enough. And then also doing things like getting enough rest and taking care of yourself in therapy and and stress management, but um, taking out a food group, Yeah, that's actually connected with making your PCOS symptoms worse long-term, not better.
0: So when you're saying like taking out a food group, like I remember being told like, watch your carbs, you know? Oh yeah, Um, like watch them. (laughs) Yes, of course.
1: Um, The carb thing is infuriating to me because there's this expectation that living with PCOS that you are just gonna have to be okay with torturing yourself with food. Um, I don't know with your PCOS experience, if you um, have had intense carb cravings, like many people will talk about with PCOS. And you know when that happens, and when that's happening all the time, that's because insulin is typically really, really high. And when insulin is really high, basically, you're eating food, but it's not being able to be metabolized for energy. And so your body's starving, like every cell in your body will be screaming to eat. And when you're starving and you're also saying, I can't have that one thing that's gonna make me feel better. That to me sounds like 100% torture. And instead what we as clinicians, helping people with PCOS can do is like help you find ways to lower insulin and also include carbohydrate, like you can do that. And for some people, they find as insulin levels go down, their carb, their cravings change, like they'll still have them because people without PCOS have them too. But they're not like these primal urging cravings where it just feels like you're gonna die if you don't eat them, like that will start to go away. And in the in the future, as people's insulin levels come down with these other ways that we have found to help then these carb cravings end up being a way to just know, Oh, I, I need something like I may need a change of medication, or I haven't slept enough. And um, I don't know, basically, that all sums up to be telling people to cut out carbs basically keeps people from a way of knowing how they need something. Mm-hmm. You know, this like carb craving mechanism with PCOS is this that kind of gauge to know when you need to change things around and by telling people to just like cut off that part of their body and not trust that part um it's really sad to me because it's i don't again it's painful but also it's teaching people to not trust their body and i think their body has a lot of information you know well that i mean that is refreshing and i you know i'm wondering people listening going well
0: how do i do that like how do i just which the, you know, everything I've been thinking and hearing, um, and even Mm -hmm. if I wanted to, like, what, what does that even
1: look like? Like, I know it's such a, it's a, it's a hard sell. (laughs) Um, I will say that, but the thing that I encourage anyone listening, who's feeling skeptical is what about your own data? You know, Mm -hmm. what? What's your lived experience with diet so far while living with PCOS or maybe even before you were diagnosed with it? Even someone who's listening who doesn't have PCOS, like what is your own data with dieting and really go through every diet you've been on, what it did, what it didn't do, what was next? Um, And, you know, as you map this out, there's a lot of people who are living with PCOS who have been dieting since they were in preschool like literally since they were three or four years old, been told that they need to eat less. And now they're in their 40s or 50s. And like, okay, so is that enough evidence? I hope it's enough evidence for you to know that you've tried enough of them. And if you have been dieting your whole life, it can be hard to know how, what, how do you do anything different? You know, if that's the only way to know. And for a lot of people, it's first starting to use some like, non-food things to kind of help manage the PCOS, keep doing the food thing you've been doing. But um, I talked to people a lot about using supplements, you know, and inositol is a really common supplement for people with PCOS, using things like that, and working on things like sleep and boundaries, and starting to just like, have permission to listen to your body a little bit more, and mm-hmm. finding out what it needs. And and so, for some people, they need to work individually with a dietitian or a health coach or someone that can help them sort through their food stuff to figure out how to make this all work. But it really um, living in a culture where dieting is normal, and especially if you live in a body that's told it is not okay, it's not acceptable mm-hmm. to be the size you are. Which for many people with PCOS and a higher weight body, they are told that their body is not acceptable. So trying to not diet in that body again that's that's the hard sell because I appreciate the world treats you differently. Um but it also if you're looking for another way to manage your PCOS symptoms moving away from dieting is something that for hundreds of probably thousands I, I don't count really but it's more than hundreds now has been the way to sustainably manage symptoms and like Feel pleasure and satisfaction again, you know, with food and other and just like mm-hmm. life in general, like being engaged in life. Mm-hmm. It may mean cultivating a bubble of people who can support you to not diet and mm-hmm. having some nice boundaries with people who are dieting, <laughs> but um, finding those ways. It's not something that's like you know, I just snap my fingers, it's not just like a quick thing, it's something that takes time for sure. Um, in a community to help people to do that, but yeah. It is, it is possible. But I, again, I think the first thing is to look at your own data. It is valid. It's so much more impressive than any research that we're going to read because it's yours. Mm -hmm. And have you dieted it enough yet? Have you tried the restriction route enough? And, you know, I'm rooting for you to say, yeah, it's been enough.
0: But, you know, I really appreciate all that you're saying, because I think many people may not even like, I didn't know I had PCOS for years and years till Mm -hmm. I went and tried to, you know, get pregnant. And all of a sudden, it was like light bulbs went off because for so long, and maybe we could even touch base with this for people listening, like, how do you know if you have PCOS, but symptoms were being treated for so many years of my life Mm -hmm. that I didn't even know were PCOS symptoms, like acne and mm-hmm. uh, you know facial hair and all these other things that I was like oh, I'm struggling like I was on Accutane like three times and for acne in my face and like you know laser hair removal and all these other things that I was like what is going on or like you said like restricting in my eating disorder and there was my cholesterol was super high and it was being told you know, you're, you're obviously lying about how much you're eating. Oh yeah. <laughs> to cut out obviously. this much and cut out the, not, it was just the carbs. It was like cutting out, you know, things that would lower cholesterol. <laughs> I didn't know that if you were restricting, it would raise cholesterol. I know now, but you yeah. know, there was all these things I wish I would have known, which is why I'm so glad we're talking about this. So, yeah. you know, people can, can of go, Oh, wait a minute. I'm struggling with all these other things. Um, mm-hmm. So.
1: Maybe we could talk about that. Like, what are the symptoms of PCOS? Yes. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's a big aha moment for people that I work with in my community is like, oh, all these other... Symptoms I've been having that I thought were separate from PCOS actually have the roots in PCOS. Like you mentioned, acne. Um, some people have lo- uh, lots of facial hair or androgenic alopecia, or like loss of hair on their head. Um, fatigue, the high cholesterol, the high blood pressure. There's also IBS that's really common for many people with PCOS. And um, let me see what um, thyroid issues. And the reason why all these things can come from PCOS is. PCOS is a hormonal, it's a condition that results into a hormonal imbalance. It starts in the hypothalamus and anything that has to do with a hormone can be affected. You know, our vitamin D levels could be affected by PCOS because vitamin D is a hormone. Um, And so, I don't know, that was like a random one. Uh, Mood disorders are oftentimes the very first symptom of PCOS before puberty and, um, uh, many people that I talk to with PCOS are like, oh yeah, like I was so depressed and or so anxious <laughs> or, both, mm-hmm. or both before I started my period. And um, there's research now showing that that may actually be like the first symptom of PCOS. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like all these things you may be experiencing may think are all these like lists of other things, but they actually may be all related. And, you know, the symptoms of PCOS can... Um, I mean, you know, we can rely on the criteria for diagnosis to figure that part out sometimes, but that needs to change, but there are three criteria and people need to meet two out of the three criteria to get diagnosed. It's the Rotterdam criteria. And one is irregular or absent periods. And the second is, um, signs of, uh, whether clinically or just through assessment of high androgens like testosterone. So like Acne oftentimes is like a cystic acne that's from higher androgens like you were experiencing uh, or facial hair. And then the last one is evidence of multiple immature follicles on the ovaries. I know they're called cysts in the name, but they're not actually cysts at all. Um, there are these like immature follicles. And what really stinks about this diagnostic criteria is if you know you have to be two out of the three in order to get diagnosed with it. But two of them, the first one, the periods, and then the third one, the immature follicles. In order to actually have those occur, you have to be of menstruating age. Mm-hmm. So, someone before they have their first period or after the last one technically cannot even be diagnosed with PCOS. So, does that mean it goes away at menopause? Mm-hmm. No, because <laughs> it's like not caused by it's not, it's not like really a reproductive issue. It's a metabolic issue that starts in the brain. So, um, There's lots of problems with that. And for a lot of people, they'll tell me some of the symptoms besides that criteria was really intense carb cravings, like I was talking about before, super heavy periods, and really like long time between periods, and um, lots and lots of fatigue, like just so tired, like a painful kind of fatigue. You know, I don't have PCOS. I again, I feel really privileged to even like, talk about PCOS and teach about it. But what I've been able to gather is like the car cravings are different than the ones I'm going to experience. Like they are primal and they are intense. And then the fatigue is different too. It's like a, a painful, heavy fatigue that, um, can, uh, make some people not be able to go to work, you know, to a point where they're on disability for it, for it. But, um, I hope that answers your question, but yeah, those are some of the ways for people to know if they have it or not. No,
0: I appreciate that. Um, because I I think it is confusing to know like, well, Mm -hmm. how on earth do I know if I have this? And it can get confusing Mm -hmm. with eating disorders too, because, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes people are restricting, they lose their periods. And so it's like, am I not having my period because of the restriction in the
1: eating disorder or
0: because of the PCOS? And it's, well, there's
1: also that kind of complicated spot of, is it PCOS or is it hypothalamic amenorrhea? And, um, you know, that's something that it can look like PCOS, but really be HA, or it could be both. <laughs> you know, um, certainly people will have both because eating disorders are really common with with PCOS. Mm-hmm. And um, but yeah, one of the ways to know the difference between hypothalamic amenorrhea and PCOS is the size of the follicles. Those immature follicles, they'll be different. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the size, but <laughs> I just know they're different. <laughs> So people might go, what is the other one? <laughs> yeah, hypothalamic amenorrhea. Sometimes it's called HA. But if you know in your heart that you're like restricting dieting, some people may not want to use the words eating disorder or anorexia, but you may know in your heart, okay, I know I don't eat that much. And you've been diagnosed with PCOS, but maybe you're not sure if it fits. It could be this other thing. This, And a lot of times people use the initials HA. So a good Google search "PCUS versus HA will take you to where you need to go. (laughs) Yep. So when you get somebody in, say, um, do you
0: refer them to, uh, you know, a doctor to get labs done or
1: more testing to confirm the diagnosis? If someone's not really sure if they have it or not? Right. Yeah, I think um, finding a doctor who's willing to explore it, especially if you don't have a, look like PCOS you know sometimes people will not be in a higher weight body and have PCOS and some doctors will be like no there's no way you have it because you're in a lower weight body or um and i just hope people know you can be any size with PCOS like basically the size diversity is same within PCOS as it is for, for people without it um, but you know one of the easiest things you could do is if you have an obgyn i feel like those are the easiest to access PCOS diagnosis. They're the ones that probably see it the most because of their relationship with the the cycles. But if they could just even get a testosterone level, I know that doesn't hit everybody who has PCOS, but it's gonna hit a lot of people. Um, Just getting that lab done. And that's what I've had many people over the years. Um, Can we find a doctor just to get that lab done? And and honestly, you don't even really need to get labs done. If you can talk to a doctor and say, I have irregular periods and I'm losing hair on my head or I have this cystic acne, I have evidence of high androgens. That's all they need to meet the criteria is for a doctor to be like, yep, (laughs) you got it. (laughs) Don't even have to take any blood, you know? So, um, and you know, the thing about that experience too, especially for like how PCOS is currently diagnosed, it's really normal, really typical to have this like period of like questioning, like, wait, do I have it? I don't know if you experienced that, but like, Mm -hmm. do I have it? Do I not? Uh, because it just feels so ambiguous. And we know so a little bit about it. Um, yeah, for a lot of people, they're like, I just don't know. And so for some people, they may never feel like, yes, 100%, I have it. And that's okay. Because the, the non-diet recommendations to managing PCOS won't hurt anybody if they don't have it. You know, that's that's the other thing about it. You know, it's something that will help people without PCOS too. Yeah. Well, non-dieting, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. It's good for everybody. I highly Great. recommend five stars all around.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> You know, I do get a lot of people who um, are struggling though, because they get the diagnosis and a lot of the work I do is they are so devastated. They're almost get the, the message of, oh, well, you're never going to have kids. Um, yeah. And so there's this pressure of, I need to follow the PCOS diet because I've been told if I don't get this under control, I will never have children. Um, mm-hmm. And I know I certainly kind of given that message too. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. really freaking mm-hmm. out, like what? Um, and I, it, unfortunately, I think that is the message given a lot of times. Um, and mm-hmm. so there is this maybe disbelief of what, come on, I can't really follow what you're saying, Uh, Julie, you know, I've got to really, you know, do what the doctor's saying, because I'm afraid if I don't, you know, there might be these long-term consequences. So I don't know if you encounter that at all in your practice. Yes.
1: A hundred percent. So I told you earlier, I don't have PCOS, but I did struggle with infertility for about 10 years Mm -hmm. and primary and secondary infertility. And I would have cut off my like left arm. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I was like, we'll get you pregnant, just cut off that arm. I think I probably would have done it. Um, I'm glad I didn't, but you know, it's, you don't mess with maternal desire. That's one of my mottos. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. if if using a diet, because we do know short-term, like most of the fertility research in PCOS is six weeks long. There's a few that are 12 weeks long. I think it's hysterical. The 12-week duration research at PCOS is considered long-term. <laughs> like, Wow. <laughs> I know. So the short-term research, the six-week-long research, it does show like improved like egg quality, cycle length it improves, um, insulin lo- lowers, blood sugar lowers. Like, it, it does all these great things. Um, but unfortunately, what we know long-term is it can make those things worse. That's where I'm like, it's your decision. Mm-hmm. It's your call. And for some people doing those things, especially like, you know, most of the people that I've worked with, with PCOS also have a very complicated relationship with food. Um, And so part of that decision to diet, to improve fertility in the short term, I think also includes some time spent on informed consent of like, this may also make your relationship with food more complicated again, because restricting leads to binging for a majority of people. They're going to experience that kind of, uh, what feels like a loss of control, or um, not being able to stop eating, because if we hold our breath and we finally are able to breathe, we're going to gas for air. Same with food. And so, just knowing that, like, so, and for people that I've worked with, they've they've gone into it in in a sense of, uh, you know, it's their body; they can decide what they're going to do with it. And then also having this information, so when the binging or that out of control eating happens, knowing that it's not they didn't do anything wrong. Like this is just part of what Mm -hmm. they were choosing to do to help with their fertility. Um, One thing I have been able to appreciate is that we have more medicine now. We have more ways to help people ovulate with PCOS. um, We have more interventions. Unfortunately, there's lots of discrimination based on size to access these interventions, which really (laughs) makes me mad. Um, Again, I'm like, who's messing with maternal desire here? Like, so someone has a higher BMI, like... Um, would they still need to have a way to have a family and mm-hmm. figure out a way to make it work, doctor? Um, I will get pushback on that, but I'm ready for that argument. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> I do, I think it's like one of the worst ways to discriminate against someone is preventing them from being able to have a family. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. So it's, it's your decision on what you're gonna do with your body, but I hope you do have informed consent if you choose to do one of these like restrictive things and just know that it could provoke long-term um, more symptoms and harm to your PCOS, but it's like, I appreciate why you're doing it, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, oh gosh,
0: you know, going back to what you just said, um, you know, people are encountering any, you know, hurdles or, you know, red tape, if you will, to getting Mm -hmm. some of these medications you're talking about, like, do you have any advice
1: for them? Like what to say, do anything like that? Oh, it's, I mean, I always have to take a deep breath because, it's such a big deal. Mm -hmm. And if you're experiencing weight discrimination while you're trying to like have a family, like you shouldn't be the one to have to advocate for yourself. Like doctors should have their, their stuff together to be Mm -hmm. able to like provide this care to you. And the science that, or the reason that people often use is that, um, it's not safe or they don't have as good a numbers, but they also are willing to help people over the age of thirty five to conceive, and you know the the line of where um, a lot of interventions start to dip with age um doesn't affect their recommendations and so why are they making this when the the line of b m i where there's an effect with conception it's like doesn't exist in the same way it does it with age. Like there's not this big drop. It's just there's lack of people I really willing to provide the care. So um, I'm like, if you're willing to do it on someone who's over the age of 40, I don't know what some people I know have a cutoff, mm-hmm. but not someone over a BMI of 35 or something. And I, I just threw that random number out. But I know that's a big one for some people. Um, I have a problem with that because the data doesn't support it.
0: Well, I hate the BMI anyway. <laughs> yeah,
1: same. I'm like, I can't believe I'm even using it as a reference point because it is total crap. But <laughs> I know that's like in practice what, what um, fertility centers are using. So <sighs> When are they going to get rid of this thing? BMI. The, the, what is it? Like the arc of justice is long. I think the arc of change in healthcare is also <laughs> long. So <laughs> yeah. And that's why I'm like, take a deep breath. Take someone with you to appointments. I I have a a lot of people with PCOS who've told me, take a thin person with you when you go to these appointments. Oftentimes they're treated differently. Take at least somebody else with you. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Oh my,
0: like that's, I'm sorry for those of you who are listening, my jaw just dropped.
1: <laughs> that's awful. <laughs> what? Well, I mean, I've never been in a higher weight body, so I don't know what it's like, but my peers, my colleagues, people with PCOS, they have shared with me when they bring um, people in more quote acceptable. I don't like that description, but like a a body that's at a lower weight, um, with them that they're treated differently. And so, um, and then also like having a team to like connect with before and after appointments to help you, um, navigate just like whatever gets activated, you know, for some people, it's like really traumatic to Mm -hmm. try to advocate for yourself or just access this care. So get the support you need for sure. There's lots of people who are doing the same thing and like try to connect with them because, like there's, I think there's so much more power in numbers in that way. Well, I, you know, I certainly hope, you know, and
0: I know there's more talk about like weight bias in medical care and I mm-hmm. certainly hope the more we talk about it, like, thank you for bringing it up again. <laughs> like I <have laughs> the, several podcasts where this comes up, but the more I hope it gets heard and listened to, there's some change because, you know, it's awful.
1: Mm-hmm. It yeah. is awful. Um, if you're, if you have a listener who is like, how do I do this? I don't have anybody in my life. I have, um, a diet free doctor visit handout. You can get on my website for free. And it's basically when you print it out, there's ways you can customize it and say, like, I don't want you to talk about dieting or I don't want you to weigh me. Um, if you go to, it's duffydillon.com slash voice, you can get to the download. And The front of it is like purely for your interaction for the doctor, but the back of it, I intentionally made it in case you did plant a seed with this provider. Because you will, you will, by you advocating in that moment, there's going to be some providers who are like, huh, I think they're right, or they're onto something. And so I have a listing of like research and just basically some rationale on why supporting you in this way without dieting or weighing you um, can be something that's health promoting. And um it's really cool to see, because especially because I live in this like smaller town, working one-on-one, one-on-one with clients. I would know about a client going to like a fertility clinic or an OBGYN and advocating and that started a change in the practice and then other clients benefiting from it and talking about how they noticed the change. And I was like, it's oh, so great. So if you do have the energy to advocate, it's going to help other people too. So we appreciate that.
0: I appreciate that you made that. That's fantastic, and yeah. that you shared it. Thank you. Yeah,
1: yeah, no problem. My pleasure.
0: Yeah, but that's also, you know, gives me some hope when you're you're saying you firsthand see some change.
1: Mm-hmm. So that's good too. Yeah. yeah, it's coming along. I think like we just got to keep on talking about it. Like you said, I'm glad other people are talking about it too in podcasts. You know, <laughs> like um, I think it's becoming more normal of like, yeah, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. Like the person is not the problem like how we're delivering healthcare is the problem. Absolutely. There's archaic things going on that need to be changed for sure. (laughs) Archaic, yes. That is the best descriptor. (laughs) We can move out of the 1980s at least. I don't know, like, come on. (laughs) What was the BMI from the 1800s? I know, (laughs) Ah. right? Exactly, yep. Yeah, I was in school to become a dietitian when the BMI changed. To um, like it used to be, if you're between 20 and 30, you're considered quote normal weight, and 30 to 40 was overweight. Um, when I was in college to become a dietitian, like overnight they changed it. <laughs> so people went from thinking they were at this quote normal weight to no longer being that. Like they just kept narrowing it and narrowing it. So yeah. Uh-huh. And it was the reason was always ridiculous, <laughs> not based in any kind of science. Just kind of like well, we liked the even number and we didn't want to be confusing. So Male and female are the same, and uh, same with age. You know, like how is that? Like, we're not going to weigh the same as we did when we graduated from high school. No, I, no,
0: no. <laughs> and we oh, should. So many <laughs> anyway. problems with that number. So <laughs> we could have made a whole podcast on that.
1: <laughs> ready. yeah, and it really does impact PCOS care. That's like why it's something that I'm always talking about. I think it's really getting the way from people like going to their doctor getting accurate diagnosis, accurate treatment, other options besides the standard, what they're getting given. Yes. So
0: we'll we'll be throwing a party the day that that is abolished from
1: healthcare. (laughs) Yes, I'll come with you. (laughs) All
0: right, we'll throw a big party,
1: Julie.
0: Uh, All right, well, thank you again for sharing that resource. Um, If people want to find you and possibly work with you um, or even follow you, you have a
1: fantastic Instagram. um, How can they find you? So my website is com, And since you're listening to a podcast, I do also host a co- podcast. Blah, blah, blah. It's called a Find Your Food Voice. And it's for people with and without PCOS. And we explore just your complicated relationship with food. So, but you can get access to everything on my website. Well, thank you so much. Any final words before we end? No, I mean, I think my biggest thing that I want everyone with PCOS to know is that you don't need to fix yourself. We need to come together and fix the neglectful PCOS healthcare. And so the more you can just really focus on that, use it as a meditation, like you do not need to be fixed. I think the better um, things will be for you and everybody else with PCOS. Well,
0: then. Thank you so much. Thank Appreciate it.